Good evening. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as Jimmy was praying there, over the past couple of weeks as I've been preparing this, and we were praying it this morning as well, the, just the weightiness of opening God's Word has been on my mind. You know, as we open God's Word together, it is a book, obviously, it's a book of paper pages in front of us, but as we open it together, it's not just a passage in front of us, but as Jimmy was praying there, God himself speaks, speaks to us through it. It's incredible. Um, so I might just take one moment to pray once more, and then um, we'll turn together to Second Timothy. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to meet um, freely and openly and to open your word. And Lord, we thank you with confidence that as we open your word, that you speak to us. Father, thank you about what we read. We know that it is true. We know your word is active. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to settle our hearts this evening. We pray you would tune our ears to hear from you tonight. And Father, I pray that you would just give me clarity in speech and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you do have a Bible, please do turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to continue from where Simon left us off last week. Um, Whenever I was asked to share uh, on this passage, probably a couple of months ago now, I was still teaching at the time. Um, So I'm a a French and Spanish teacher, for those who don't know. Um, And recently, though, I've had a career change. So I've I've stepped out of teaching, um, and I've taken up a a job with a youth ministry organization called Baptist Youth, uh, which is the youth branch of our Association of Baptist Churches here in Ireland. Um, And so over the last couple of months or so, I've been packing up my classroom, saying goodbye to my colleagues, saying goodbye to students. It has has been quite sad. Um, But in the last week of term, I was, I had a, a year 10 class in front of me, or a third year class, if, you, if that's more familiar, um, or 14 year olds, if that's, if that's helpful. So 14 year olds in front of me, it was the last week of term, so really there was about half a class, about 10 students, um, and you can picture me behind, behind my desk, I'm in my shirt and tie, and one of the students put up his hand and says, sir, um, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving us? Um, he says, are you bored? Do you not like us anymore? Um, and... The truth is, I wasn't, I'm not bored. The truth is, I, I thoroughly enjoy teaching. Um, the truth is that Rebecca and I really, over the past couple of months, really since kind of the new year, um, have felt that God has been calling us in a different direction. Um, just as we've spoken to folk here and have prayed about it and sought wisdom, we felt that really God's guiding, guiding me away from teaching for now into youth ministry. Um, but in the moment, as I was sitting there, as little Harry was asking me, why are you leaving? Um, I just had this lurch in my stomach, or kind of just like, I mean, if I, if I tell this class, God has called me to leave this school, they're just going to laugh at me, uh, was the feeling I have. If I tell them that Jesus is more precious to me and it's more important to obey him than maybe continue with what I want to do in this moment, um, they're just going to make fun of me um, and I'm going to look like a fool. Um, and so rather than t- saying the truth, um, I was just sitting there and I just kind of blethered something like, well, you know, it's just the right thing to do, I think. You know, it's just the right thing to do. Um, just a beige comment, pretty non-controversial, one that they were pretty happy with and I was pretty happy with, kind of skirt past the point. Um, but it wasn't the, I mean, it wasn't not the truth. I do think it's the right thing to do, but it wasn't the whole truth, was it? I hadn't shared, actually, yeah, it is the right thing, but it's the right thing because God has called me to it. Um, and tonight, I'm sure if I were to ask us, if we were to consider over our own lives, if I were to ask you, have you ever been in a situation like that where you've been ashamed of the gospel or maybe you've been embarrassed even to to speak boldly and say yes I know Jesus and I follow him that 
Jesus is around whom everything in my life revolves. I depend on him for everything. Um, if I were to ask you that, I'm sure we would, you know, we would say definitely. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all, we've all been tempted to dilute exactly what we believe and know about God. Um, and so tonight's passage, Paul is actually going to address that very scenario, that situation. Timothy, as Simon explained last week, Timothy is in Ephesus, and uh, Paul is writing this letter, his last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Um, Timothy's a, a youngish guy. He's maybe a little bit weak or timid. Um, he's been left to lead this church in Ephesus to proclaim the gospel um, in Ephesus and beyond. Paul knows that, that Timothy's been put in this position for a reason, even though he might be weak and young. Um, so Paul says to Timothy and to us tonight as we open the passage, he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Is his message to Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, but be encouraged and be emboldened knowing that God is actually at work through you. And that is his message to Timothy as we read, and I pray and have been praying that that is the message that we hear from God tonight, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to be encouraged and to, take, to be emboldened knowing that it's not just us, but that actually God is working through us as we seek to live faithfully for him. So in 2 Timothy, we're going to read from verses 18. Or no, we're not. We're going to read from verse 8 to 18. Um, Paul is going to outline his message to Timothy uh, in three different re- ways. First of all, he's going to outline, okay, what is this problem of shame? How, how might we be tempted to be ashamed of Jesus? And what is the big deal about it? Um, after that, though, he's not going to say, you know, Timothy, you've made, you, you might be ashamed of the gospel, but sort yourself out. Um, no, he's going to push on and outline just three brief ways as to how we might try to overcome this shame or push against being, being ashamed or embarrassed for knowing Jesus, but actually be bold. Um, and then thirdly, um, he says, okay, if you're going to be bold for Christ, it maybe might be good to set your expectations as to what that looks like as we seek to live faithfully in the world that, we, that we're placed in. Um, so these are our three points. Hopefully we'll track along with. We're going to begin with the problem of shame. So if you have Second Timothy in front of you, please do look down to it. Um, we're going to start at verse 8. So let me, let me read it to us. Verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Notice here, first of all, there's two ways in which Paul says we might be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, first way there, it says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Um, Cast your mind back to the ascension. We're in Acts chapter one. um, And Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's saying to them, but you will receive power, in Acts chapter one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We as Christians Christ followers, we are called to bear witness, aren't we? To testify to, the, to Jesus who we know. So Paul says, rather than be embarrassed or maybe afraid you know, to be seen as foolish for believing in the Lord Jesus, we must remind ourselves, this is Jesus who we know, who we've believed. We can't be ashamed of him. But we, we, rather than that, we must, we must tell people, we've got to testify to the goodness that we know, the glory that we have seen in Jesus. So part one, Paul says, we may be tempted to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. But secondly, if you note, just on in that verse, um, Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. I don't know, sometimes I feel like 
we can at, at times feel kind of buoyed and full of, of joy in Christ. We can kind of be on fire for Jesus. But at the same time, sometimes I find, at least in my life, I've been a little bit embarrassed to be associated with, with, with somebody else who, who's maybe speaking boldly about Jesus. I think, well, you know, you know, yes, okay, I believe what they're saying, but that's a super intense Christian. That's pretty, that's pretty intense. I don't, I'm not quite like that. And try to kind of save face that way. don't know if you've maybe felt that way at any point. You know, you maybe, I don't know, you've been out for a coffee with somebody and they've maybe asked you, you know, what has God been teaching you recently? Or maybe share about how God has been speaking into their lives and you maybe are tempted to lower your voice slightly or you don't want to be seen in a public space to be speaking about Jesus being actively working in our lives. Um, and so Paul says here, yes, we might be tempted, to te- or be tempted to be ashamed of bearing witness for Christ, but also sometimes we could be ashamed of actually our brothers and sisters who speak about Christ as well. And I think, it, I think it's, it's, it's true for us. I think it is tempting um, both to be ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of, of God's people. Timothy, he felt or, or, or was tempted to feel that. So, and Paul exhorts him in this way. He says, you must not be ashamed. We, have all, we all feel that way as well. And so Paul says, this is a problem. We can't just let that lie. We can't just slide through and think, we'll leave it. To, you know, those intense Christians can, can have it their way and, and we'll be fine. This Paul says, that is, that is a problem. So why is it a problem? In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus says this in Mark 8. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For whoever is ashamed of me, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is the problem, isn't it? For we know, as we've been praying and worshiping, we have an awesome God, don't we? We have an awesome powerful, holy God, and yet our God is terribly truthful and honest and faithful, isn't he? And Paul is saying here, and Jesus tells us, if we are to, if we turn away from man's ridiculing, you know, if we try to see a face or dilute down what we claim to know in Christ, if we, if we try to claim Christ as our own at home, but in public, we dilute that down, Jesus says that, that is dishonest. Jesus says, if we're, if we're ashamed of him, he will also be ashamed of us. For those of us who don't abide fully in Christ, we're told, don't we, that Jesus will say, I never knew you. That is the problem with being ashamed of the gospel. For us at Great Vic, can't we say, but for the grace of God, we would be lost forever, wouldn't we? But for God's goodness and mercy. And Paul here, he's not just trying to lay on the guilt to Timothy either. Either. He's not saying, right, Timothy, you've been ashamed. Now buckle up, sort yourself out. You should know better than that. No, thankfully not. Um, he says here in verse eight at the bottom, do not be ashamed, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the power of God. It is not wholly on our own might that we are to stand boldly for Christ. Look even there at the beginning of verse eight as well. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony. So, Therefore, what is it that as a consequence we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel? We've got to track back actually a little bit to where Simon left us off last week. So if you just track back slightly to verse 7. Uh, verse 7, hopefully it is highlighted there as well. Um, Paul says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're not just handed this gospel, this, this freedom in Christ, and then told, right, carry on yourself, sort it out. No, we have, we've been given within us the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, a spirit not of fear, where we read there. This is, this is the spirit of God himself. And if we were to ask, what, what is God fearful of? Nothing. And that very spirit is working within us. We have a spirit of, uh, not of fear, but of power, the power of God, the love of God, the self-control of, of the Father dwells within us. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells within us and then enriches our lives through it. The problem with shame here at the beginning is that we are often too focused on ourselves, aren't we? We're too focused on how we're going to appear to man, to those around us. Instead of living actually in the goodness of the gospel that we know, the freedom of the Holy Spirit working uh, and, and enriching through us. So Paul's call here, let us not lose hope. Whilst we might be ashamed, uh, tempted to be ashamed at times, do not lose hope, but be emboldened and be encouraged to endure for Jesus, knowing that the Spirit is working through us. And so he's going to push on and say, okay, if we're going to push past and we're going to, we're going to push against this shame for Christ, how do we do it? So if you look down, we're going to consider three brief ways in which Paul outlines um, overcoming shame. So we'll consider the prevention of shame to continue with the alliteration. Um, point number one, Paul says, you got to know the gospel. If you're not going to be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel, you've got to know the gospel for yourself. Notice there, we've just been reading verse 8. Paul moves straight away from speaking of the gospel to speaking of God who saves us in verse 9. The God who saves us and has called us to a holy calling. We are called to be made like God in his holiness. And that's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel, we've been singing about it, we've been praying about it, the good and freeing news. I have loved being part of Great Vic because it's just so clear that we can say together that the gospel, salvation is wonderful, isn't it? Salvation and freedom for Christ is incredible. And all around us, we go out to Belfast, we don't need to look too far to see the consequences of, of, of what we've been saved from, don't we? We can see a world that has turned away from God and we see the darkness that is there. We've turned away from this God of light and what do we have? We have just darkness everywhere. We've turned away from our God of perfect love and we have disconnection and brokenness in relationships. We, we've turned away from this God of life and we have death, don't we? And that essentially is what those outside of Christ are living in, sludging through this life of darkness and brokenness, ultimately a slave to death without any hope whatsoever. And yet, we know, don't we, that, that we're not just left hanging to sort ourselves out. We are not left to pay the wages of our sin. We do not have to make amends for the shame that we might have exhibited or displayed in knowing Christ, for the lack of self-discipline that we've maybe um, done or our selfishness or any harshness of words. It's not that we have to earn back God's favor. What we do we just indulge in the free gift of grace, the free gift of forgiveness offered through Jesus on the cross. We read in God's word, we have been made justified by faith, haven't we? We've been set free from the law of works, given the right not only to be forgiven, but to be adopted as children of God, to be accepted as righteous. And as Derek was reading earlier, we're told here, it's not because of our works in verse nine, not because of our works. Okay, so if not, why is it? Well, it's because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. As I read that, I just felt that is so liberating to think that God has planned this from before time. And so, of course, he's going to maintain it through, isn't he? Um, 
often, often I find we're quite short-sighted or, or easily forgettable. Think of the story of David and Goliath, all right? Think back. I've been visiting holiday Bible clubs and, and kids' camps the last week, um, and so I've got all, all the big classic Old Testament stories. So think of David and Goliath, yeah? Oftentimes, I find you've got, you know, you've got the Israelite army lining up to face Goliath and the Philistine army, don't you? And how often do we just forget this gift of grace that we have that, that it was planned and then gifted to us. Rather than remembering that, we just find ourselves, don't we, as the Israelites, just kind of standing, trying to get ourselves ready, right? We've got to face Goliath, don't we? We've got to, we're not going to feel our king. Rather, we're going we're gonna to do our work. We've got to do our bit. We've got to earn our, earn our way back. We've got to muster up our own strength, don't we? But at the same time, we're kind of a wee bit despondent and a bit discouraged because we know what we've done in the past. We know what we failed in the past and we think, right, well, I just got to try a bit harder this time and I've got this big task ahead of us. And as we're standing there, we've got to remember, no, God has stooped down to earth as Jesus on earth, hasn't he? And as we're standing there ready to go, David just returns. Jesus comes to us and says, no, it's finished, isn't it? It's finished. I have won for you. This victory is your victory. We've got to know the gospel. The gospel tells us we have a merciful and gracious God who gives us the victory and deliverance from our sin. He has given us his son that those who would believe in him might be saved. So Paul says to Timothy here, don't be ashamed of the gospel, but be encouraged and emboldened. Know that it is true. Know that it is wonderful. It was, it was instigated. It was be- God began it way in the beginning. He has maintained and will maintain his work through us in the Holy Spirit. So part one, if we're to not be ashamed of the gospel, is to know the gospel ourselves. But notice not only that, um, in verse eight again, into verse nine, Paul says, if you want to not be ashamed and stand boldly for Christ, you've got to know the God of the gospel. Verse eight says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Paul here, obviously he's explaining the gospel, but at the beginning there of verse nine, he says, "Who we've got to know who the God of the gospel is. Much like this morning when we were considering delighting in God's word, we delight in God's word because it is the word of God himself. That is, that is the glory of the Bible. And in the same way, the glory of the gospel is found in the God that, that, that saves. If we look on, we're in verse nine and 10 at this point. Um, who is our God? Verse 10 says, um, and what has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So Paul says, in this world of darkness that we live, in this world of disconnection and brokenness and death, where we might, as followers of Christ, be tempted to maybe be ashamed of Christ, no, we must be purposeful to know God in the midst of it. And we know if we want to know God, how do we do that? We look at Jesus, don't we? If you want to know who God is and what God is like, you look at Jesus on that cross. We know Hebrews chapter one, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, isn't he? He's the exact imprint, the exact representation of his being. If you want to know God, you look at Jesus. And verse 10 there, it highlights two things. Uh, What has Jesus come and what has he done? First of all, he has come and abolished death. And that is our core problem as people, isn't it? It's the inescapable truth. Death uh, is, is there for everyone. Hebrews 2, as I've alluded to there, says, through fear of death, 
They, that is us on earth, are subject to lifelong bondage. Without hope, we are slaves um, to death. And that is, that is the case for thousands of our neighbors in Belfast. They have no hope. But for us, for those of us who know God, we know, don't we, that death will not, is no longer. There's nothing that can actually separate us from God's love, even death itself. We know in 1 John that God himself is love, don't we? God is love. And what does love do? Love draws near, doesn't it? Jesus came to the world. Jesus comes to the world as God's love manifests, as we read, read here, and he says, you in darkness, let your darkness be my darkness, yeah? And you in your brokenness and your disconnection, let your brokenness be my brokenness. Let your shame be my shame. You in your sin, let your sin be my sin. And ultimately, doesn't Jesus say, let your death be my death? That is what love does. That is our gentle and merciful and gracious Father, the one who draws near, who says, you in darkness have my light, yeah? And you in your brokenness and disconnection have my love. And you in your death, ultimately, have my life. That is the God that we know and can know. That is our God. And not only has he abolished death, but uh, he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. As Christ came to to earth, we knew that immortality has been brought to life. I thought actually an illustration that Paddy used probably a couple of months ago now, we were considering the Old Testament. And as as you attempt to trace God's hand through history, through the Old Testament, um, it's much like being, I hope I don't butcher this analogy, probably. Um, it's much like being in a, in a darkened room, you know, in a, in a room full of maybe lovely furnishings, furniture, important ornaments, nice paintings. And as you kind of stumble around and you get an idea of the value of things, don't you? And you, you can kind of touch and work out what's there. You can see it's quite valuable, but you don't quite know exactly. But when Jesus comes and throws on the lights, it's boom. The glory of God is just clear as day for all to see. And it's the same for the gospel. As we look to Jesus on the cross, who came as God himself to walk and take our place on the cross, we see God's love for us just displayed. His infinite glory is just perfectly visible. Paul says here, it's for this reason that he was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and for that reason that he might suffer. Remember where Paul's writing this at the time. Um, Simon was explaining last week, he's writing from prison, He's in Rome. He's essentially waiting his death. He's been um, sentenced to death. And yet Paul's able to say here, Christ has abolished death. Sin has been forever defeated. Death is destroyed. And that as followers of Christ, that is great, Vic. We can say we have the confidence because we know our God, don't we? We have the confidence that death has been defeated. Our God is not some distant, far-off tyrant or you know, a creator who is suddenly apathetic and doesn't care about his creation. He's not a vague, unknowable spiritual being. No, God himself came, became flesh, dwelt among us, and has swallowed up death for all time. That is the God that we know. And this is the God of love, of whom we have no need to be ashamed, do we? We have no need to be ashamed of this God because we can say, I know my God. So Paul says, if you, don't want, if you want to stand boldly, if you do not want to be ashamed of the gospel, one, you've got to know the gospel yourself. Second, you've got to know God personally. Um, and then thirdly, as he goes on, he says, Timothy, you've got to live faithfully. Live faithfully. 
We're just going to park verse 12 for a moment. We'll come back to it in in one second. But have a look at verse uh, 13 and 14. Paul wants to encourage Timothy here. He says, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself. Yeah? We know, actually we were just singing about it there. We know that the idea of unearned favor by God, unearned forgiveness, can make people uncomfortable, can't it? People do not like that idea of being indebted to the cross. You know, think, think for example, if you're out for a meal for dinner, and maybe you're out with your family or some friends, and you just finished it up and it's lovely, and then your friend just reaches over and says, here, this one's on me. I'll get it, yeah? Oftentimes, we're like, oh, well, no, 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 don't worry. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do a bit of it, or maybe I'll get you next time, and we don't really like to be indebted, do we? Even though it's a kind thing for them to do, we don't like that, being in debt. And how much more so do people not like being indebted to the cross, indebted to the forgiveness of Christ? We don't want to admit the seriousness of our sin or the fact that, that we actually, no matter how hard we try, we can do nothing about it. And oftentimes as Christians, we have to face that uncomfortableness or that hatred for admitting the seriousness of sin through suffering. In verse 13, Paul says this, He says to Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the pattern of the sound words here, that's the gospel, yeah? But Paul here is not so much concerned as to what is the gospel, as we've already considered, but rather, okay, how are we going to live out this gospel, Timothy? How are you going to unashamedly live for Christ? He says, follow the pattern, that is, follow the true teaching about God, but with godly character. Timothy has to live out this gospel in the faith and love of of Christ Jesus. Galatians 5 verse 6, Galatians 5 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. That's Essentially, that's what a life characterized by Christ looks like. And uh, Paul said to Timothy and to us, he says, make sure your doctrine is healthy, Yeah. But make sure your love is healthy as well. Make sure your actions reflect that of Christ. And as we seek to not be ashamed of the gospel here, as we seek to stand firm and bold for Christ, we're not being called here to be brash and to be guilt-tripping others up or to be proud or obnoxious about saying, you don't know what I know. No, that is not what Paul says. We are to seek to show love and gentleness as we, as we share the truth of the gospel. John Stott, um, an English theologian, um, said that in this regard, we're to have a sincere faith, yeah, a sincere faith, but a tender charity. A sincere faith and a tender charity. I just thought it was a lovely, lovely um, way of thinking about it, especially even an encouragement for those of us who, and I would probably class myself in this group as well, who would maybe feel a little quieter by nature or a little timid at times and maybe just not want to be standing on the rooftops and, and commanding a room. We're not told to, to, to be brash and bold like that, no. We're told to speak with confidence, but to speak the truth in love and kindness. That is our call. If we're to live unashamedly for Christ, it is to live in love and kindness. And not only that, we have to follow the sound teaching with a Christ-like character. But in verse 14, if you read with me, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul says, guard the good deposit. That is, that's the gospel for Timothy. Guard that gospel and then proclaim that gospel, Timothy. For us, we, we must 
protect it. You've got to treasure the gospel. We have to be intentional to keep it accurate. Make sure we've got a faithful understanding of the gospel. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, in chapter 6, he says essentially the same thing. In chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, Avoid irreverent babble. Avoid irreverent babble and avoid contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. The world we live in is a world of distraction, isn't it? Essentially a world of chaos. You don't have to flick the news on. You just need to go outside to see that we live in a world of just being bombarded with irreverent babbling, aren't we? And lest we be maybe tempted to adapt the gospel slightly or dilute the gospel to, so as to maybe not offend or to avoid criticism, through the strength and the working of the Holy Spirit within us, we are told here we must guard the gospel as we seek to live faithfully. Guard it, be intentional. And Paul wants to finish then with an example. So he says, if you want to not be ashamed of the gospel, you've got to know it well. You've got to know the God of the gospel. And after that, you must live out the gospel in a Christ-like character. Thirdly then, to finish his exhortation to Timothy, um, he says, it's helpful to set your expectations, to have a perspective that is helpful. Um, As we seek, or as Timothy seeks here, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to be encouraged and emboldened, knowing that the Holy Spirit is working through him. Paul says, I want to share an example with you, Timothy, um, and how you might expect the world to react as you seek to live unashamedly for Christ. Um, Verse 15, if we cast our eyes down there, um, we'll read together. Paul says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Obviously, some event has caused all of those people in in Asia to turn away from Paul and his teaching. We've got these two people, uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. We don't know much about them. But clearly a disappointing event, no, or certainly discouraging for for Paul. Um, In fact, in in Acts chapter 19, we we learn a little bit more of the context. In Acts 19, verse 10, um, Luke records saying that after Paul's teaching all of the residents of Asia believed. So in Acts 19.10, Luke says, all of the residents in Asia believed, and now we read in 2 Timothy 1, they've all turned away. You can imagine, can't you, the blow that that would be to Paul after the work that he has put into it. Suddenly he's seen this, this, this profession of faith, and suddenly these people have walked away. But compared to verses 16 to 18, we'll read that together. He's had this discouragement, and into verse 16, Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. Onesiphorus here clearly has shown kindness to Paul now. Um, if you have a look, I've highlighted a few things. Um, I'll just read through. So he, he wasn't ashamed of Paul and his chains, not in his weakness. He's refreshed Paul. Um, he's shown some sort of service to him in Ephesus. As you read through, quite a contrast, isn't it? You can, you can ne- nearly hear the gratitude of Paul as it lists exactly what Onesiphorus has done. May the Lord grant mercy. As Paul writes to Timothy, he's saying, look, Timothy, I have trod this path. I've experienced turning away and discouragement. 
but I've also experienced the refreshment of those drawing near and encouraging. So as you seek to live unashamedly for Christ, expect both things. Be aware that this is a, this is a reality in our world. Guard the gospel. Don't be ashamed, but know that there will be challenges, but that the, go- the Lord is faithful and good to provide encouragement along the way as well. As we think maybe about times in which we've had the temptation to be ashamed or maybe to dilute the gospel, we've got to remind ourselves, don't we? There, there will be people who turn away. There will be people who resist the Holy Spirit. But in those moments, we've just got to, we've got to pray for strength. Trust that the Holy Spirit is working through us and just be faithful to be a witness for Christ, the God in whom we believe and, and, and live out um, in the character of Christ. I maybe just pause for a moment uh, this is kind of a side note, but um, this man, Onesiphorus, maybe just consider him. Um, again, maybe you don't feel this, this boldness and brashness to say, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for Christ. Maybe, again, you feel a little you know, a bit more timid in nature and think, that's really, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a secondary Christian if, I, if I'm not like that. But just consider Paul's um, testimony to, to Onesiphorus here. Um, we're called, aren't we, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to be bold in knowing that God is working for us. But could you, could, maybe you could be an Onesiphorus, maybe that could be you. Maybe you could demonstrate your faith, uh, unashamedly living for Christ and serving somebody in this way. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing? Imagine somebody saying here, um, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Andrew. Wouldn't that be, well, it'd be lovely for me. Uh, you know, for, for often he refreshed me. What a way to live unashamedly for Christ, to show the love of Christ in serving someone like that. So uh, let's pull this to a close and consider Paul's, Paul's argument here. Um, first of all, he has outlined the problem with shame. We're, we're all prone to it. We're tempted to it. Um, and yet we've seen the, the severity of it. If we are to disown Christ, he, he will disown us. If we are ashamed of Christ, he will say he's ashamed of us. Then he has said, okay, there are ways that we can push against that. Yeah, we can know the gospel well, seek to know your God personally, and then seek to live out faithfully as followers of Christ. And then shared an example, it's helpful to have a a perspective, an expectation that whilst we do seek to live faithfully, there will be people who who do resist the the Holy Spirit, who don't accept Christ. Remember where Timothy is at this point. Timothy is, he's been left in Ephesus. He's in the midst of trying to uh, lead a church. He's aware of these people who have suddenly turned away. There is pressure on the Christian church at this point. Paul is writing his letter in chains, awaiting death, and now Timothy's being told, guard the deposit, do not be ashamed of the gospel, follow the pattern of these sound words. And it is, it's the same for us tonight. I know, for example, there's university students in this room, or those of us who have gone through that, um, or maybe some of us who are starting a new term or a new year after the summer. I know, and having spoken to a lot of us, I know that we share the fear of man that comes upon us, doesn't it? Whenever we feel the pressure to make an impression where we are or you know we, we just we, we know we don't want to cause friction we don't want to be causing tension or to be seen as super different like that or those of us maybe who are at work in the staff room in school or in the lunch area or even like if you're gathering with your family or out for coffee we we know too well don't we, we often feel it like we know what reaction we're, we're going to get here if we're honest about who we are in Christ there's that temptation to dilute down really who we are in Christ and it is real shame that we feel that the, the, the fear of man 
is a real challenge for us. And it's encouraging being able to openly share and encourage one another in that. Yet Paul here, again, he's not guilt-tripping Timothy. He's not saying, how shameful you've been. Really, Timothy, you should know better. No. Let's look at verse 12 to finish. Um, Verse 12, if you have a look there. Uh, Paul has said, um, so this is the reason I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says here, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Yes, okay, it's, it's through the Holy Spirit who, indwell, who dwells within us. Through him we must guard the gospel, protect it, and know the gospel. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul is convinced here that Christ himself will keep that deposit, will keep that gospel sure until the day he returns. Christ will maintain the gospel using his faithful servants. That is, that is what Paul is convinced about. And what, what is the reason that he's convinced? Verse 12, if you look at it, in the middle he says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I believed. I know whom I have believed. And that is our encouragement tonight as we seek to be bold and unashamed of Christ. That is the, kind of the weight lifted off of our shoulders. So that, that lurch in your stomach, the knot just released. Though around us maybe our faith is spoken against us or evangelism can be ridiculed at times, can't it? The gospel will prevail. It's not on us to convince the world. No, it's, us to, it's on us to speak boldly and faithfully. The gospel will prevail, not because of us, but because it's upon God himself that it's placed. That is why it will prevail, and Paul is convinced of it. Whenever we're, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, when we're, when we're faced with the fear of man or tempted to dilute or maybe blush, you know, in the shame of knowing the gospel, Paul says we have no need to be ashamed. No need, because we know our God, don't we? We know the very God in whom we believe. And that is our strength and encouragement. God himself is working through us. Again, John Stott, to finish, says, in entrusting the deposit to our hands, in entrusting the gospel to our hands, God hasn't really taken his own hands off of it. In entrusting it to us, God has not taken his own hands off it. You can imagine a little little boy, you know, trying to learn to ride a bike, and as as he goes, he goes, his father's just gently holding him and guiding him along the way. God holds and maintains the gospel. We are on the winning side tonight, aren't we? God's side. So as we leave, let's leave emboldened and encouraged to say, yes, this is my Savior. This is Jesus whom I know. And through him, and only through him, I am not ashamed of this gospel. And that is Paul's call to us tonight. So let me just pray. um, And then I think I'm going to hand over to Simon before we sing. Let's pray. Father, as we have been reading, we thank you that as what we read, we know it is true. And we know the gospel, Lord, is true. Thank you for Jesus and the freedom that we have from sin in him. Lord, we pray that you would give us a boldness and a confidence to know that you are at work through us, that you do not leave us to our own devices, but that you're actively working through us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to encourage and embolden one another as we seek to to live unashamedly for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Andrew, for helping us uh, work through that passage and just the encouragement there. Isn't it uh, great to know 
that we can look to our God, the one in whom we have believed and have great confidence um, in him. And we're going to pick up on that as we look to Christ in our final song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. It's him who we just look to in our own weakness. So let's stand in response and sing together. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and Yeah. 
picking up on the confidence that we can have as we go out of here in our God. Let's hear these final words from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Do you-